0: So we are going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark, and, uh, but as we do, I also like to go back and review a little bit of what went on from last Sunday, just in case you missed that episode uh, you know, previously on uh, Happy Valley Community Church. Um, but uh, last Sunday, we talked about breaking from tradition, and really, it was it comes down to it being a heart issue, a heart problem, and how the heart needed to be renewed and, and changed the message was again about traditions and what it takes to break from them, especially when defending a tradition is at the expense of following God. We need to be careful that those traditions don't get in the way of following our Savior. And then we looked at uh, from Mark chapter seven, uh, different portions of this. We saw how we need to make sure that we avoid hypocrisy. That we we discovered how the Pharisees were hypocrites because they worshipped God for the wrong reasons, and it, it, it's really idolatry to claim that your interpretation of God's Word is, an, is, a, is as important as God's Word itself. Be careful not to step over that boundary. Um, and then we also too um, need to look to Christ for guidance about our own behavior, and then let, let Him lead others in the details of their lives. <laughs> We can come along with each other, and we can help each other, but to insist that they do it how we've done it, that, is, that it's important to make sure we, we don't cross that line. And then uh, verses 9 through 13, we saw that, uh, how uh, Jesus confronted the uh, Pharisees and said, you, you say these things, but God says this. Uh, there's a little difference there. Can you explain that? But if you ever hear yourself use the word but after referring to the Bible, you should hear alarms going off because whatever you say next is going to be unbiblical. <laughs> I know that God's word says this, but... Well, you might want to just stop right there. Don't even go any further. <laughs> Think about it. If God's word says this, then God's word says this, and we should be doing that. <laughs> so uh, watch out for that. Don't have what you say have a big gigantic gap between what between what you say and what God says it needs to come together and uh again knowing that the heart of the problem uh was basically the problem of the heart Uh, we are spiritually defiled because we are sinfully depraved and that heart of of the heart of my problem is that problem of my heart it needed to be renewed it needed to be changed And uh, what begins in our minds comes out in our attitudes and our actions. And I'm reminded of what Becky's father would always say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. What's there, you're going to see is going to come out. And so uh, whatever begins in our minds, it will come out in our attitudes and our actions. And so from our hearts, that's where the issues are. And we need to, God needs to be able to work on that, do some heart surgery in our lives. So what's on the inside is really what counts is what we saw there in verse 23. our problems are not the result of surrounding influences but of the internal evil that is already in our hearts. The problem of the heart uh, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart of course. and that solution to that issue is breaking with tradition by receiving a new heart, allowing God to do that heart surgery in our lives so that again, we have. Uh, a more connectedness to what Jesus has for us. And as John chapter three verse three says, we must be born again. We must be transformed from the inside out. Now uh, in chapter eight, we're going to look here in, in Mark chapter eight. and uh, we find here in this, uh, in this chapter, Jesus feeds the 4,000, and this is different from where He fed the 5,000. And then we also see that he speaks about the yeast of the Pharisees and and, and of Herod. And be on guard, as he was telling the disciples, watch out for this. The disciples didn't quite understand what was going on there, but uh, Jesus had to remind them a little bit. And then he healed a blind man, and a very interesting way of doing it. I don't know, Moses, Tricia, if you tried ways like, you know, bring healing in different ways or whatever, but spitting it in his eyes and saying, okay, what do you see now? (laughs) It's like, I, I don't know. But he saw basically people walking around like it looked like tree, tree trunks or trees walking around It's like, OK. And then he did a little bit more. Very interesting portion of scripture there. But uh, I really don't have time to unfold that before us. But he healed the blind man. And then he also um, asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? And then Peter, you know, well, they were saying some think you're Elijah, some, you know, other these the people. And uh, um, Peter's confession of Christ was given there as well, too, as you see in chapter 8. And uh, you are the son of the living God. Uh, you, have the, uh, you have eternal life for us. Where else can we go? <laughs> and, uh, and Peter's right on with that. And then Jesus, then in the following verses, turns to him and says, well, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be crucified. And then that's when Peter <laughs> says, oh, no, 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 not you. Not you, Jesus. You're not going to be crucified. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, actually, yes. Uh, Well, he get behind me, Satan, is what he said. But uh, there is a little rebuking going on between the two for a little bit. Um, And which then brings us to where we're going to land here today in chapter eight. And before I go any further, I'd like you to watch a little video that will kind of ease us into today's message. In contrast to the common thinking that life is all about you and all about me, listen to the words of Christ found here in Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 34. It says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said in his book, the Cost, in The Cost of Discipleship, he said, salvation is free but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your your, your life. Have you ever heard of the phrase, you can't win for losing? (laughs) You try to do all these things and even try to lose to win, and it doesn't work out. No matter what you do, win or lose, you can't win. But today's scripture turns that on its head because we can win for losing. When we consider the cost of following Jesus. So, today we're going to go by the numbers here as, uh, as we look at these different points. We'll begin by considering the call to follow Jesus, and we'll look at four conditions Christ gave if we're serious about following him, and then uh, we'll conclude with three cautions. So, one call, four conditions, three cautions. So let's look at first the one call. In verse 34, we see Jesus' call here, and he's in, he calls the crowd to him with his disciples. Now, the setting, as you recall, in the verses before this, he was speaking with his disciples, and all that was going on there. And he was, uh, you know, who, who do you say I am? And, well, some people say this and that. Well, who do you say I am? And, and well, you're a son of living God. Well, oh, good. That's, that's what you say, and God told you you have knowledge from God on this, uh, but I am going to die and be crucified and risen on the third day. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus turns to him, no, get behind me, Satan. These things need to happen. Um, anyway, as you go through that, he does ask those three questions in that portion. And uh, who, do, who do people say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And uh, who does Jesus say he is as well? And in that portion of Scripture, you can see all that answered because there are people out there who have those questions too and who have an idea who Jesus might be. And the thing is that as a follower of Christ, you have those answers. You know who Jesus is. You know what he's done for you. You know probably what your friends or your neighbors say who Jesus is who might not be a believer. And they have issues as far as not quite correct information there but jesus made it very clear that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again from verse 31 so after this intense teaching time uh, you know which included the public rebuke from peter to jesus and also then jesus to peter all this was going on around everyone he then calls the, the disciples together. He says, calls them in for a little closer huddle in the crowd as well, too. Coming together a little closer because he had something very important. He wants them to know. If you as a parent, you've probably done this before. You've told your child uh, an important instruction. Make sure you do this. all right? And we're talking like six year old, five year old, maybe four year old. As a teenager, sometimes it doesn't work very well when you do this. But when you did that, you really wanted them to listen. You took them by the head, and you put your hands on both sides of the cheeks. You said, look me in the eyes. Please do these things. And maybe you did as a, when they were a teenager too. You're probably like, this. Yes, please do these things. A little taller. But the thing is, is that you wanted them to hear something important. You drew them in closer. That's what's going on here with Jesus and the crowd. Come on in, come in. I got something important here. Come on, get closer, get closer. I and mean, when a team huddles together and they want to hear the coach, they get a little closer in and listen because the, everything around them is so noisy. They want to make sure they hear what the coach has to say. And so here Jesus wanted to make sure that they heard him, what he had to say here. Something very important that he wanted them to know. So after describing his faith, fate, he describes what it means to follow him gives us to the point of the four conditions. The call is 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 to everyone, but there are also conditions to following Christ. We see this in in the use of the word if. If, and you see it a lot in that portion of scripture. We're going to discover that the demands of discipleship can't be ignored and they can't be downplayed. And here are those four conditions. The first condition is that a person must have a desire To become a disciple. If anyone would come after me. You need a desire to become a disciple. The heart of the matter is again is a matter of the heart. The phrase would come is the idea of intentionality. And it involves the the will. You choose. You want to. You desire to. In order to walk with Jesus you must first want to walk with Jesus. The New King James uh, has this phrase like this. It says, whoever desires to come after me. The New American Standard puts it like this, if anyone wishes. And then a New Living Translation says, if, anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower. So wants to, wishes, desires, to, all that comes together. And again, talking about the will of that person. No one else can force you to do this. And when that happens, you're not all in it, are you? When someone forces you to do something you don't want to do, really, you don't really do it with all your heart. But when you're in it, you say, yeah, I'm going to do this, you're 110% in it, and you desire to do that. The call of Jesus goes out to everyone and to anyone. You see the, the curious crowd there, those nearby. You see the committed core, the, the 11 there, the disciples. You even see the, the counterfeit, the one Judas, right there as well, within the group. All are there. And it's interesting to note that these three groups are still present today. There are those who are curious about Christ. They kind of listen what might be going on. That they were there in that crowd. There are others who are committed to him the disciples following him, and a few who have a counterfeit faith, which then Judas was the one who looked like that. And notice that Jesus is about to give the same message to each of the groups as he calls everyone to him. It did not matter. It doesn't matter what you've done or or how you've been living. Everyone is welcome to listen in, to receive the invitation. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it states that all have sinned. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 says, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes. Notice the phrase come after me back in Mark chapter 8. This has the idea of lining up behind the Lord and following wherever he goes. We don't, we don't walk in front of him. And, and ask him to catch up with our ways and where we're going. We get behind him so that we, we walk where he walks. We walk after him, not ahead of him. It's like the elementary teacher with the preschool kids or playing the game of follow the leader, basically. And the leader goes and you need to follow him. wherever whatever he or she does, you also do that as well. Had some fun, I had some fun with that as a staff person at Tillicum, Camp Tillicum, and taking some first graders or second graders or third graders through the forest and hiking around different places. And we played that game and and having them try to do the same things. It's it's interesting. They try to keep up and do those things try to trick them and (laughs) go different ways, but they still follow But that's the thing with jesus. We need to be following him And be ready that if he's going to go to the left, we go to the left If he's going to step over something we step over something, too It's all those things that we just need to follow walk after him not ahead of him So do you have the desire to follow jesus? As one of his disciples You won't follow him if you don't want to. (laughs) You won't follow him if you don't want to. Some are not following the the Savior simply because they don't have the desire to do so. But until you desire to be a disciple, you won't be one. You need to desire that. That needs to be the forefront. If you desire him more than anyone or anything else, you will be a disciple. You're in line with what uh, Asaph said writes in psalm 73 verse 25 whom have i in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that i desire besides you until we get to that point it'll be difficult to follow jesus if he's not the one you desire salvation is free but discipleship will cost you your life The first condition is to settle your desire. The the second condition is to deny self. Let him deny himself. Everything within us screams against these words. (laughs) To deny means to refuse. This is the same word that describes what Peter did to Jesus as he refused him, denied him. One Bible dictionary puts it like this to disown and renounce self and to subjugate or to conquer or defeat or crush or gain control of all works interests and enjoyments they have that all under control that's what deny means check out what jesus said in luke chapter 14 verse 33 he says so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple some strong words. Denying self, though, make sure you take note of this. Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. There's a difference there. Like self-denial, like like not eating chocolate, <laughs> or, or 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 going on social media fast, or uh not watching reality TV shows, which you know is alright. I think it's all right for you not to watch. There's some Interesting stuff out there. It's the stuff you give up for Lent, basically. (laughs) You give it up. You deny yourself in that way, uh, self-denial in that way. But denying self means I stop thinking I'm always right. Denying self is I stop living in my own power. Denying self is I refuse to pursue my own pleasures because I no longer belong to myself. I've been bought. I'm not my own. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So in short, I must give up the right to run my own life, because I no longer own my own life. It's in Jesus' hands. I've been bought with the blood of Christ and I now belong to him. One evangelical Christian speaker and author suggested we should be sure to begin each day by giving thanks to God, meditating on one chapter of God's word, and praying, Father, glorify yourself in my life today at my expense. That last phrase I've never thought of. God, glorify yourself in me, please. But at my expense, that's a little different. It's a tough prayer to pray, but I think it's something we need to consider. Father, glorify yourself in my life today at my expense. Most of us, me included, are fine with glorifying God. But we don't really want to do that if it costs us something. We can't fully follow Christ while living our lives any way we please. We'll get confused (laughs) which way we're going. Who's in charge? You or God? I've been so impressed by the quality and commitment of the leadership here at this church. Happy Valley has some good leadership here. And over the past few years, when ministry became more difficult as each year passed, leadership stepped up. I'm impressed. I'm thankful. So thankful. You've demonstrated what it means to deny self. In these years that we've gone through, these last couple of years. And for those of you who are in leadership at Happy Valley here and have been in leadership over the last couple of years, two or 3 years, let me encourage you that your ministry matters. I reminded you of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Live in the call that Jesus has given you as he has shown us here in this Of scripture in Mark chapter 8. Have you ever heard of the song um, So Long to Self? So Long Self? It's by Mercy Me. It's a funny and kind of sobering song describing a man breaking up with himself. (laughs) Let me read the, the verses to you, some words from this. It says, Well, if I come across a little bit distant, it's just because I am. Things just seem to feel a little bit different. You understand. Believe it or not. But life is not apparently about me, anyways. But I have met the one who really is worthy. So let me say, So long, self. Well, it's been fun, but I have found somebody else. So long, self. There's just no room for two. So you're going to have to move. So long, self. Don't take this wrong, but you are wrong for me. Farewell. Oh, well. Goodbye. Don't cry. So long, self. And he goes on, he says, Stop right there because I know what you're thinking. But no, we can't be friends, and even though I know your heart is breaking, this has to end. And come to think of it, the blame for all of this simply falls on me, for wanting something more in life than all of this, can't you see? Don't feel so bad, there'll be better days, don't go away mad, but by all means, just go away. (laughs) So long, self. Have you ever broken up with yourself before? (laughs) Maybe God is calling you to that, to break up with yourself. So you don't get in the way God can be in charge of all that goes on in your life. Because there really is no room for two. Either self is on the throne of your life, or the Savior is. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life first two conditions are desire and denial. And then as if those aren't difficult enough, Jesus next calls us to die. That's the third condition. Die. Take up his cross. Crucifixion was a common Roman punishment with over 30,000 nailed to crosses during the lifetime of Jesus. Everyone knew that the cross was an instrument of shame and suffering and torture and, of course, death. When a person took off his cross, he was beginning a death march. And unfortunately, we have romanticized the cross and turned it into something we put on our walls, wear around our necks. I'm not saying that's not good, but when we only emphasize that, then we've lost lost the meaning of this. When we we, uh, reference uh, this verse, we often say something like, Well, I guess that's just the cross I must bear. And normally it refers to putting up with an obnoxious relative (laughs) or maybe living with an, an illness or some other affliction or maybe even that bad employer might be your cross. But let's remember that the cross was carried by condemned criminals and ended with humiliating and excruciating execution. Everyone knew the person was saying goodbye to everything and that there was no turning back. We're called to crucify self-fulfillment, self-promotion, self-centeredness. We're to die to our rights. The right to be right, (laughs) the right to take revenge, and even the right to to fight. As J.C. Ryle puts it, a religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. Interestingly, uh, according to almost universal tradition and archaeological evidence, the Apostle Peter ended up literally fulfilling this when he was crucified, reportedly upside down. But crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's also reported to, and you probably recall as well, 11 of the disciples died martyrs' deaths. A pastor's wife and mom, speaker and author by the name of Christine Hoover writes this. She says, nonetheless, the cross is relentless in my life. It pursues and crucifies my claims on self-rule and self-glory. The gospel, because it is by nature sacrificial, requires my self-sacrifice. The gospel lays claim to us all. Christ lays claim to our ambitions, our money, our minds, our work, our children, and yes, even our sexual activity. We cannot lay out For the unconverted, a Christianity that will make life better, when in fact faith in Jesus often makes life more difficult because the priceless value of knowing Him comes at a cost to self. We become no longer our own. Everything we are and do must be submitted to someone else, namely Christ. Jesus is the one who's in charge. He's the one who goes before, and we've died to those things that cause us to be led astray. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we live in a time of cheap grace and easy believism where Christianity is more identified with health and wealth than with surrender, sacrifice, service. We're surrounded by The watering down of that, it costs us something. It always does. Here's another quote from The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, It says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So as Christ calls us, he's expecting us not only to follow him, but to die to self and all other things. That wouldn't be of Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's quite a condition, dying. <laughs> Do you desire to be a disciple? Are you denying yourself? Have you died? to sin, and those things that are not of Christ. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. So after getting our desire right, denying self, and dying to sin, Jesus gives the fourth condition for discipleship in the last part of verse 34. And follow me. It's a devotion. It's a devotion to Him. To follow means to go with, and that we are to be constantly following Him. It's not like, oh, one day I I followed Jesus. I I did that. No, it's what we do. It's who we are. It's what we continue to do. At the core, the word disciple means learner and follower. So as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Christ, we learn from Him. We follow Him, what He says and what He does. I've heard it said that the depth of one's devotion will determine determine their impact. How deep you are in your relationship with Christ determines the impact you have on other people around you. Just think about it. It's kind of how it is. You know people in your life who you, you go, oh yeah, that person's godly. Well, how'd they get there? It wasn't just by accident. They're working on their relationship with Christ. They're devoted to Him. They're following Him. And those people in your life that you see that, they impact you in what they say, and what they do. You go to them for advice. <laughs> you look to them for, for instruction because they're following Jesus so closely. They impact your life deeply as well. The depth of one's devotion will determine their impact. And the words we use are important as well, too. You know, while there's nothing wrong with saying things like, I'm a Christian, or I'm a believer, or even I'm an evangelical, uh, we might want to try identifying ourselves more like, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is part of, of the emphasis behind our statement that you see in the bulletin and that we follow. We are people committed to following Jesus. We're followers of, of Christ. And it's not that helpful in asking someone if they are a Christian because almost everyone says they are. Oh, yeah, my, my parents go to church. I'm a Christian. Yeah, okay. And you've heard the say that, you know, <laughs> going to church doesn't make you Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. So it you you need to own it yourself. And you... You, 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 in using terminology, and if you're asking someone if they're a Christian, of course they're going to say. Because their definition of Christian might, might be totally different from yours or even the biblical definition of what that is. But when you ask someone if they're a, uh, a Christ follower, you might find that you're able to get to the gospel much quicker. <laughs> because if they follow Christ or not. When you're speaking to a true Christian, you could ask, Well, how long have you been following Christ? Tell me. And what's it like? Jesus fought against having false converts by making sure people knew there was a cost to following him. Yeah, it's available to everyone. Anybody can come. The call is for all. But there are conditions, there is a cost. Are you willing to pay that price? Remember the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 who came running up to Jesus to find out how to obtain eternal life. When Jesus challenged his idolatry of self and the pursuit of possessions, we read these sad words in verse verse, uh, 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's interesting that Jesus didn't chase after him or he, he didn't water down the demands of discipleship either. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, come back, come back. It's all right. You can keep all those possessions and keep on wanting those things. Just come follow me. He didn't do that. He didn't water anything down. Here's what needs to happen. He didn't, Jesus didn't lower the bar. Commitment to him is costly. Discipleship is demanding. The man was sad, but he wouldn't deny himself or put to death his devotion to material things. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus said it like this, And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, some good strong words there for us to consider. Cross bearers are called to follow the crucified one. Discipleship is demanding because we're called to die to our desires. And Luke chapter 9, verse 23 adds that Denying to self and to sin are to be happening on an ongoing basis. It says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Something that happens continually on an ongoing basis. See, it's easy to add Jesus as a friend on Facebook. (laughs) Really. Easy to add him as a friend. It's much more difficult be a follower. Jesus is not an app that you add to your life. That's something you can connect in that way. Because Jesus is Lord. Because He's Lord, He wants your whole life. He wants you, everything, who you are, what you've done, He wants you, all of you. Are you willing to renounce every person, every possession, especially yourself, in order to follow Christ? Will you put your faith over your family and over anything else that has been first in your life? You just take a quick inventory on yourself. What has been priority in your life in the last week or two? Maybe last month? Maybe the last year? Who's been first place? What is it that is keeping you from following completely? In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salvation is free. The discipleship will cost you your life. So after the one call to discipleship and the four conditions in following Jesus, he concludes with three cautions. Let me share those with you quickly. If you focus only on your own life, you'll lose it. If you focus only on your own life, you'll lose it. In verse 35, we see this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you try to hold on to what you have, you'll miss what Jesus wants to give you because you're too caught up in what you have already. When you settle the surrender issue, and commit to follow Christ at any cost, you will end up saving your life. We would do well to adopt the Apostle Paul's purpose statement from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It would be a good thing to follow. (laughs) That would be a good purpose for us as well, too. But don't miss the additional clause that Mark adds here. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We are to lose our lives in service to the lost as we, pro- we proclaim the gospel. We are to spread the good news in this community and beyond. And be ready to be used by God in whatever way possible. And when we lose what has always been so important to us, we end up finding what we've been searching for all along. Don't get so preoccupied with what you have already when God wants to give you something even greater. Speaking of those who are completely committed to Christ, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It reminds me of the words of Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred in Ecuador. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If you focus only on your own life, you will lose it. And then if you focus only on your own success, you'll lose your soul. Jesus asked two probing questions in verses 36 and 37. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Now he's using some economic terms here. Profit, Forfeit. Return. You could gain everything and lose your very soul. You could make a lot and end up in hell. <laughs> Is it worth it? Here's a question to ponder. Will I spend my life with a Savior, or will I waste my life on this world? Good question to keep before us daily. If you focus only on your own success you'll lose your soul. And then a third caution, if you're ashamed of Christ, he'll be ashamed of you. If you look at verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There's a cost to discipleship, but there's an even greater cost to not following Christ. We're called to confess Christ and not be ashamed of Him, which will become increasingly more difficult in our culture in the months and years to come and probably is already something you've experienced already. As these days come, it's tough to be able to um, confess Christ before people. It's difficult, not because of people's attitudes, but just just the, everything that's all around us in the last couple of years as well too. And yeah, there are people who might be open to it, but most often... It's just another conflict in their life. If it's not political, it's something else. And this is one thing, and they don't need it. Get out of my face. So it's, it's, it's a tough thing. It gets more difficult as the months yeah. and the years go. though. But let's not shrink back from the Savior. Let's, let's not waffle with His words as we live in, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Don't run out on the one who will never fail you. It's time for, for us to be the, the, the church, to to be bold in our witness, and loving in our gospel presentations. Be ready to be used by God. Speak the truth in love. Let's declare with Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, who says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the, to the Greek. When Paul was in prison, he wrote these words of encouragement to a young Christ follower in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. He said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The call to discipleship is costly, but totally worth it. Happy Valley here is not a me church. We are not all about ourselves. This is a church made up of sold out followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And continues to be so. Don't give up. The call of discipleship is costly, but it's totally worth it. Uh, let, me, let me express this story to you, and, and then I'll close here in our time here. Have the group come up and sing, lead us in singing. The young man was eager to grow in his Christian life. He got a piece of paper and made a list of all the things he would do for God. And he wrote down the things he would give up, the places he would go to minister, uh, and the areas of ministry he would, he would enter, all these different things he wrote on here. And, and, and then he was so excited about it, he took the, that list of the church, put it on the altar, was giving it to God. He thought he would feel joy, but instead he felt empty. So he went home and started adding to his list. He wrote down more things he would do and wouldn't do. And he took the longer list and put it on the altar, but he still felt nothing. And he went to a wise old pastor, told him the situation, asked for help. And the pastor said, take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, put that on the altar. The young man did that and the peace came to his heart. That's what we need to do in following Christ. We need to sign that blank piece of paper and hand it over to God. Let him do what he wants with that. So are you ready to follow Jesus as he indicates here in Mark chapter 8? Desiring to be a disciple, denying self, dying to sin, deepening our devotion? If so, figuratively sign your name at the bottom of the blank page. And when you do so, get ready. Because God's going to have some amazing things for you. If you need to pray, you come on up while we uh, sing this next song we on and Annie and Don are going to come on up and lead us in this. About the heart of worship, getting back to that. And our service to God is worship to him. We have been created to glorify him and worship him. And when we follow him as it shows here in Mark chapter 8, then we worship him in that way. Maybe that has gotten a little clouded. Maybe it's gotten a little... Distorted in your in in your in the life that you live in, uh, the world's kind of seeped in a bit in a lot of different ways. Maybe you need to stop and realize, I need to I need to get that blank piece of paper out, sign the bottom of it, and let God just take care of things right here. I haven't I haven't totally been following Christ like I should. There's some things I need to I need to consider and give over to Him. If there's some areas in your life you're, that the Holy Spirit has just touched upon today, I would trust that you would respond in prayer. Respond in prayer, of course, in, in saying, yes, Lord, you're right. This is an area that I need to be working uh, working on in the way of giving over to you, allowing you to work on it. If you need to come pray, uh, you can come while we sing this next song. But uh, at any rate, if you need to pray, spend time with God right now in praying as we sing these songs.